are we? Doing well. Man, I appreciate that. It's a new year. We're all still here. They let me come back, so we're all good. Man, I appreciate you guys. Y'all kind of braved a monsoon to get here this morning, didn't you? Is anybody else kind of in this thing when it rains? You're just like, okay, I'm trying to wake up. I need the coffee. Everybody good? We ready? Ready for week two of Structure? Sweet. Man, I'm excited to be here, excited to be back on stage. Last week kind of got me jazzed up, I'll be honest. If you were here last week, you know you're probably actually much more at peace because the rows are all facing the way they're supposed to be. You were able to sit in your spot. If you weren't here last week, we did worship in the middle of the floor and Ben taught and he was kind of pacing back and forth like a tiger. It was great. I loved it. It was very entertaining. Uh, We started this series called Structure and the idea for this series, just to give you a little bit of backstory, is based on this story in Second Chronicles, and it's a crazy story. It's, it's got all the things that my ADD brain needs to be fascinated by a story for about a month. You've got your hero in Hezekiah, and he's just making things happen, right? You've got this evil king who is bent on destroying the people of God, and he's like actually really evil, and you're like, yeah, I hate this dude. I'm, I'm ready. Let's keep reading, you know? You've got the people of God who are invested in this project, and they're like in this crazy mindset where they're like, we're just going to win. We don't care if we die doing it, so we're going to like dam up all the streams, because why should they get to drink? It's a weird thing. It was like at their own harm. It reminded me of a comedy bit I heard years ago, and it was about a guy who was in a fight with his wife, and she started hitting him in the car, and he's like, she didn't care if we all died. That was kind of the vibe going on with the Israelites at this time. And you have at the end of this story this solo angel who's like an unbeatable boss at the end of the level who just comes in and wipes out this whole army. It's a crazy story, and if you haven't read this story in Second Chronicles chapter 32, I highly encourage you to do it. I highly encourage you to go back and listen to last week's. You can find that on our website, on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to great content, you know? If you have not heard this story, it's one that has been kind of changing my mindset and the way that I'm thinking about my relationship with God in the last few weeks, and so I encourage you to do so. But we kind of left last week with this idea that Ben, ben kind of put in our minds and, and gave us five directives on how to walk with that, and it's the overall idea that Our preparation is going to eventually lead to our acceptance of God's provision. And it was good, and it was, it was really great, and, and I was, like, motivated, and it was the beginning of the year, and all these things, like, tied in a nice bow, and I left last Sunday, and I was like, yeah, I'm taking this year seriously. I don't know how your week went, but... It, was a, it, was, it wasn't a total letdown. But I kind of left, and I was coming in this morning, I was thinking, good for me. And good for us. We decided to be proactive. This week we get to be a little practical. And in thinking about this idea coming out of Second Chronicles and, and how we get to be a part of the preparation, this question, has, it keeps showing up in my journaling on it and my thinking about it. And it's this question, how proactive am I prepared to be in this process? How proactive are we prepared to be in the process of God using us this year? And maybe a a better question and a secondary question to go with that is, how much of our activity is necessary in the process of God providing? Now, for for just a second, something that I I hope we can can do here, I would like to kind of set aside this inherited, you know, general, unquestioning Christian thing that we get sometimes, you know, For a long time, I spent time in in churches, and I was the guy that everybody was annoyed with because I had more questions. Anybody else there? Yeah? 
For just a second, I want to set that aside and say that there are certain problems that arise whenever we read Scripture and take everything very literally and don't dig into those questions more. Yes, we are supposed to prepare based on this story, but we're also supposed to wait on God's provision. That's a little confusing for me. Yeah, we're told that we need to be still and know that he is God, but we are also told that you need to work out your salvation. If I'm very honest, if I'm being vulnerable, that's a confusing place for me to exist. God, how much am I supposed to wait on you to work, and how much am I supposed to dive into this thing head first? And to be honest, a lot of times I fall into my defaults there. Our, we fall into our personality defaults there, am I right? Some of us are really good at sitting back and reflecting, and some of us are really good at diving in. And so last week, leaving, Ben gave us these five directives on how we can prepare. And man, my personality, I so appreciated that. Because I'm like, yeah, give me those directives. I'm ready. Let's go. Give me a to-do list. I want clear and concise directions. My wife, on the other hand, is much more reflective. And she's one of those people that like drinks coffee in the morning very patiently. And I'm not that guy. And so for her, she has a much easier time being reflective and thinking about these things. But she also suffers, self-admittedly, from analysis paralysis. And so no matter what your personality is, we're going to have a hard time, as long as we live here and as long as we're trying to follow after God, finding this balance between our part in the preparation and God's providing in the end. And something that we like to point out here at Vertical is that this is an ancient problem. This is a problem that we see the people of God, the Israelites, early Christians suffering like they were struggling with this for a long, long time. We see decades where the people of God in the Old Testament are just waiting on him to act. And we also see times when they jump the gun and they ruin it for their, for their kids for the next few decades. And so today, I want to talk about and really dig into this idea of our part of the preparation. And I really want to think about how if we find that balance and how we can get to a place of balance, how that keeps us from this place of doubt where we start to question what our role is in the economy of God. And so as we jump into this story, it seems like the Israelites did this perfectly for once. That's the one thing that I took away from last week is like they actually got it right here for once. And so I want to highlight that, and for those of you that weren't here last week, this is going to give you a little context as we jump into the meat of today's talk. In 2 Chronicles, when we pick up in chapter 32, verse 2, it says, When Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come, that being the evil king, had come, and that he intended to wage war against Jerusalem, he consulted with his officials and military staff about blocking off the water from the springs outside the city, and they helped him. You need to know that's a crazy ask. They're like, what do we do about water? And he's like, I don't care. They're not getting it. That's where his mindset is here. They gathered a large group of people who blocked all the springs and the streams that flowed through the land. Why should the kings of Assyria come and find plenty of water, they said. Then he worked hard repairing all the broken sections of the wall and building towers on it. We learned that Hezekiah, he didn't just repair the wall. He actually built a wall outside of that wall and built towers up on top of it. He built another wall outside of that one, reinforced the terraces of the city of David all around Jerusalem. He also made large numbers of weapons and shields. Don't miss this. 
Because this is very important for the story of the people of God. Because what you need to know about their history is they can recall time and time and time again where God has come through for them. In fact, their whole history is that. They can look back to this just miraculous um, escort that they had out of Egypt and out of slavery. And they can say, we weren't doing anything and God showed up for us there. And I wonder if they doubted as they were preparing for this battle. I wonder if they were thinking to themselves, like I was just talking about how I often think, do I really need to move in this way? Am I doing too much? Do I need to let God handle this? How much is too much? But they went ahead and prepared, which I think is very interesting because that doesn't happen a lot in their story. And it seems like, not in spite of that, but because of that, God acts as well. In 2 Chronicles 32, verse 30, or 22, we see the Lord sent this angel that I was talking about. This is a great word. Who annihilated. Done. Like, boom. Annihilated all the fighting men and the commanders and officers in the camp of the Assyrian king. So he withdrew to his own land in disgrace. The people of God acted out their faith in his goodness, by preparing like he would provide for them. Now, here's, here's what I know about working at Vertical Church. I've officially split the room in half now, okay? I've been here a couple of years. I've figured this out. Half of the room here are my optimists. And, like, I really appreciate you guys. You guys are, like, great. It's both and. I get it. That's perfect. Less you know, let go and let God more. Let's go and let God, you know? And, and I really appreciate that because some of you guys are like, this is perfect. I'll just do both. I'll just prepare and God will also provide. But, but again, I'm that guy and I'm like, I have more questions. I'm a little skeptical. And, and for some of us, there's more skepticism here than we might think. Because what I'm realizing about this is when I try and apply this approach to my own life, it tends to get a little messy, it's a, good thing to, it's a good thing to say that, yes, I want to prepare and let God provide. But when I apply this approach to my own life, it gets messy. And sometimes my doubts will not allow me to prepare like God won't come through, all while believing that he will come through. And so because of that, we're going to have to define, redefine a couple of words that we use in the church. We'll get to that closer to the end. But for us to pick those words out, of our story and the bigger story, we're going to talk about a character that you probably know about. And his story parallels the one in 2 Chronicles perfectly. His name is Abraham. The New Testament authors look for inspiration to incite acts of faith for their life. They often refer to Father Abraham. You know, some of these famous guys like Paul, Luke, John, all of them look back at Father Abraham. And it was for good reason, because he had a great track record. You know, a lot of people think that Abraham was raised following God, and like he just had this great life, and it went on for 100 plus years, and it was perfect. But when we first meet Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, God introduces himself like this. He says, hey, Abraham, go from your country, your uh, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. There's no, like, pretext to that. He's just like, hey, Abraham, God here, go. Which is weird. It's as weird as it sounds. This isn't like one of those old Bible things that you're like, oh, yeah, God did this sometimes. Like, he just showed up and talked to him. 
And we see that Abraham hears God say, go. He says this in verse 4. And then Abraham went. Later on in verse 4, he departed. In verse 6, he passed through. In verse 8, he moved on. In verse 9, he journeyed on. You get the picture. And this is, this is Abraham. This is just him in a nutshell. If Abraham is the subject, then the verb is him following God's voice for chapters and chapters and chapters as long as we see him. This is a defining characteristic of the life of Abraham. But this was not the defining moment in Abraham's life. And you will know the famous story that is the defining moment because it takes place on a mountain called Moriah. You see, Abraham was promised this son by God, and you'll know that his son is Isaac if you've been around this whole church thing for any amount of time. And we see that the hardest day in Abraham's life has everything to do with his ability to follow God's direction while also valuing his son. And so in Genesis chapter 22, we'll pick up this story thinking, keeping in mind this story of the Israelites in 2 Chronicles. And it says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. Keep that word tested in mind. I hate that word. But keep that word in mind because it's going to be very important. He said to him, Abraham. And Abraham said, here I am. Then God said, hey, look, I need you to take your son, your only son, who I promised you, who you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. Pause. Let me just take a second here and admit to you that I hate when God does this. I hate when God does this. His instruction of Abraham here offends every one of my sensibilities as a person. And I have to imagine it probably did the same thing for Abraham. Because everything that we know about God up until this point is that he is not like other gods who were famous for asking people to sacrifice their children. But Abraham does what Abraham does. I have to imagine there's a certain amount of doubt here, but he goes forward. This bothers me so much because every time I read this chapter, this story about Abraham, it brings me into this place where I have hesitation about the things that I actually think about God. I begin to wonder, and that doubt starts to come in, is this God the God that I thought that he was? What kind of God asks a man to sacrifice his own son? At this point, I'm going to ask you, keep your knowledge of the end of this story out of this, because Abraham had no idea how this story was going to end. All he knew is that God had asked him to go, and he decided he was going to see where that trail ended. This whole thing reminds me of this unavoidable mystery that comes with God. And I think it points out an insecurity that I have in my own spiritual life in that I don't love sometimes that there's a lot of mystery around this God that I've dedicated my life to. That's what a lot of my reflection this week has been about. I would encourage you to think about that when you are thinking about preparing for what God has you for this year. Do you trust him to prepare like his provision is going to be good for you in the end? Let's keep going. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and he loaded his donkey. Again, here's Abraham. God said, go, and he went. He took with him two servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for a place that God had told him about. Notice that he is preparing physically, just like these, this Israeli army. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. And he said to his servants, oh, 
this up here. Abraham said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. And then Abraham, being super old, took the wood and the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. He himself carried the fire and the knife as the two went on together. Now, I'm I'm thinking about this as Abraham, being an old man, is walking up this mountain. And I'm wondering, where did the doubt set in? You ever been in that place where, like, you feel like you have to do something really hard, and you're praying the whole time, you're like, okay, God, I'm doing it, can you give me the rest of the story? Okay, God, I'm following through, I'm following you, but can you give me more information? All right, God, I'm ready for you to say, psych, you're good. And I wonder at one point going up Mount Moriah, he is pacing in lockstep behind Isaac as he carries this wood, and he realizes that that moment of peace probably is not coming. I wonder at what moment he realizes the same enemy that you and I battle every day is following him up the mountain and instilling this doubt in him. Again, this is so much like the story of the Israelites in Chronicles 32. One reason why this story is so beautiful is because as those those soldiers were preparing and building the walls and cutting off the streams, they actually get a letter from the, uh, the Syrian king. And he says, I don't know why you're preparing. Do you know how many other gods and how many other armies I have toppled on my way to destroying you? And I have to imagine that that is exactly where Abraham was walking up this mountain. The enemy is whispering in his ear, I don't know why you're following this God. Do you know how many other great men I have knocked down on my way to you? And I resonate with that. There have been points in this week where I'm doing my best to follow God and I can hear him chirping in my ear. He's writing a letter addressed specifically to me because he knows where my doubt exists. But Abraham had prepared for this. And because he had prepared, he knew that God's provision was on its way. He did not know how, and I'm sure there was doubt as to what the end result would look like. But because of his preparation, he was able to push past that doubt. They kept on hiking, and eventually, in verse 7, we see that Isaac spoke up. He's thinking very practically now, and he said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. And the two of them went on together. With the destination in sight, his son begins to think very, very practically and starts to ask questions about this purpose. And I've been there too, and I'm sure you have too, when you're following after the direction of God and you yourself are doubting why you are doing what you're doing and the people close to you are like, hey, this looks odd. Why are you doing this? Moses keeps hiking. He's prepared himself mentally. Moses, Abraham keeps hiking and he's prepared himself for this. And when they reached the place where God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and he arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac there and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. I wonder if he knew. He couldn't have known. 
But I wonder if he was thinking about what that walk back down was going to be like and how God was going to rectify this. In verse 11, another angel we see of the Lord calls out to him from heaven and says, Abraham, Abraham. And again, he said, here I am. He doesn't sound surprised. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Don't do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have withheld from me your son, or you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. When I read this, I am so frustrated with God in this story. And now I realize that not only, this story is not only a story of a provision of God, but the way his provision interacts with our preparation. I realize when I'm reading this story that Abraham is able to go very quickly from his knife on the throat of his son to seeing this ram and being like, oh yeah, that's what I'll do next. Abraham is not surprised by the angel showing up. Isaac is not surprised by the angel showing up. We need to understand, Isaac is probably a 25-year-old man who definitely did not have to lay down on that bed of wood. No one is surprised in this story except for me. I realized while studying this week and thinking about this and journaling this that I have read a lot of things into this story that I do not think are actually there. Abraham had prepared for this moment. And when I read this story, I think about it as being a story of three days. But in reality, this is a story of a hundred years of Abraham's life. Up until this point, he had been prepared over and over and over again. God had shown himself to him over and over and over again to where I don't know how much questioning there really was for Abraham. And as I'm reading the story and implying all this doubt and thinking all these things and really reconsidering the way that I view God, I forget the fact that this is so far into Abraham's story that at this point he, he really does trust God in a way that I do not understand. Abraham's story shows us that preparation is the antidote to the doubt that we experience. Preparation is the antidote to the doubt that we experience. It was the same way in the story with the Israelites in Chronicles chapter 32. At this point, they had seen God show up so many times that they were just going to prepare like he wasn't going to show up and trust that whatever he would do would be better than what they did. But they were working because God had asked them to work. This is an important, an important point for us to make. When we look at our lives... Sometimes I'm working not expecting God to work it out in the end. And sometimes we're reflective, fully, fully aware that God is going to work it out in the end. But our being able to prepare lets us be a part of God's plan. He enjoys for us to be a part of the work, even though he could do it without us. And as we go forward and we look at this, when we start to apply this, we have to think about, well, what are our own personal doubts because those are the things that are going to throw us off having an ability to prepare with God and knowing this. There are a few things that we need to define. First, we need to define our doubts. Doubt is a strange thing in the life of a Christ follower because it's both overwhelming and it's also fleeting. 
right? Doubt is one of those things that has the ability to completely sink your story if you let it, but also when you start to work on doubt through preparation, it tends to fade away pretty quick, quickly. Both the people of God in 2 Chronicles and Abraham knew that there was so much risk, status of there being a nation and his beloved son. Both were too important to leave to the hands of doubt, so they were going to continue working knowing that God would come through in the end. Now, this is kind of where we're going to get into some definitions, and I'm, I'm running a little bit low on time, but I think this is very, very important. For you and for me, we have to be able to define where our doubt exists. And when we look at Scripture, we throw Scripture at that doubt as kind of the, uh, the instruction book for our preparing against those doubts. But when I look at scripture, I see a lot of words that the church has really ruined for us in the last however many decades. There are some buzzwords that come with church that honestly the church has done it so poorly for so long that when I hear these words, it kind of it turns me off a little bit to the idea. And so as we're going forward and thinking about how you and I can prepare with God for doubt that's coming in the future, I want to reimagine and reinvent some of these words as our application for today. The first word, and it's one that we see a lot in the story of Abraham, is faith. If you go and get your kids out of vertical kids when you leave here and you ask them, hey, hey, tell me about faith, they would probably say something like, faith is believing without seeing, and they're exactly right. Faith is this marrying of the unseen and the seen and being able to apply that to your relationship with God. But one common misconception with faith is that we think that we learn to be better at it like it is a skill. Faith is a one-step thing. You don't level up in faith. And I can tell I'm aggravating some people here. But when you think about it, faith is just a decision. It's an action. It's not a lesson that you learn necessarily. Faith is a lot less like painting and a lot more like jumping off a cliff into some water. A few weeks ago, I was in Chris Wilson's house. He drums for us here on Sundays. And what you may not know about Chris is he's a fantastic artist, a beautiful painter. And I don't have a clue what any of it is. Because there's a lot of skill to that. And I look through his house and I'm like, wow, that's a darn good painting, Chris. But there's a lot of skill and learning that goes into that. And I don't have the skill to do that. There's a learning curve there. I've jumped off a lot of cliffs in the water when I lived in Arkansas. There's not a lot of learning to that. You pretty much just fall. But in a lot of ways, that's what faith is. Faith is knowing that that water is deep enough, it's going to catch me. I'm not skilled enough to jump off of that. There's no skill that comes into jumping into that. You just eventually learn what it looks like when the water is deep enough. And that's exactly what we see in the life of Abraham. You know, he lived a beautiful life. It, was also, it also had its mistakes where his faith did not show up. But by the time we get to this story with Isaac, he had jumped off so many cliffs, he understood what faith looked like. He was more than prepared to climb up that mountain. Because he did not know how God would show up, but he knew that eventually he would show up. He was not sure that his son would not die, but he trusted God enough to know there's going to be a good end to this. God will provide. We need to reimagine the way that we think about faith. A lot of times I would look up to mentors and people much older in their walk with Christ than me and say, man, I wish I had faith like that. 
And if they're really that wise, they would tell you it's just a matter of making that decision daily to where you can understand it and, and, and know what it looks like in the future. The next word that I think we need to kind of reinvent is this idea of sacrifice. Sacrifice is kind of a scary word for me, but somebody much smarter than me that I, that I read often, his name is Eugene Peterson, he, he wrote on this idea of sacrifice, and I love the way he put it. He said, sacrifice is a readiness to interrupt whatever we are doing and build an altar, bind whatever we happen to be carrying with us at the moment, place it on the altar, and see what God wills to do with it. You know, the way that I thought about sacrifice for a long time was like, eventually God's going to ask me to do this and it's going to suck. You should be invulnerable. I think that the way that we need to reconsider this and think about this is we all make sacrifices. For some of us, some are harder than others. Sometimes we have a harder time with internal sacrifices, our points of view, the way that we think about things. Sometimes we have a hard time with external sacrifices, the things that keep us comfortable, the things that we love. But I think if we're considering our lives and the way that we set up our lives going forward, knowing that eventually sacrifice is a part of this process, we begin to think about the way that our life is organized in a different way. And it begins to put God at the top of that. Is this something that I'm willing to sacrifice? Yes, no. It's going to let you know where your life is in that moment and where you are in that journey to faith and jumping off of that cliff more regularly. Sacrifice is a part of the Christian life. It's just how comfortable we are with that. The last word, one that I also don't love, it makes me uncomfortable, but I said we would get to it, is testing. Testing is such a scary word, and I wish that I could reinvent this into something that's really comforting, but the English language doesn't let me do that. When you look at testing in the Bible, it has much less to do with our ability to believe something and much more to do with how we see God. Testing comes as a result of faith. You see that in every story in Scripture. This man had great faith. He was tested. It's in every story. And so, like sacrifice, for a long time, I was very afraid of this, and I think that many of us are very afraid of testing. That's very normal. But the way that we need to reimagine this and think about this is that our testing doesn't have to do with our ability to believe that God is good. Our testing and getting through that has much more to do with our ability to see God for who he is. That's the difference between Abraham's story and me. Abraham was not walking up this mountain wondering if God was good. He knew that God was good. And because of that, he knew that eventually he would provide for him. So I'm out of time for the morning, but I would ask you to think about going into next week as we jump into week three of structure and we talk about what it looks like to be a structured man or woman who is following after God. How much of your story are you willing to prepare for? Because God has called us to be a part of the story he is building within us. Your story doesn't just happen to you. You're a part of that. And God wants you to be a part of that. How much of that are you prepared to do? And also, are you able to label your doubts? Does it come up with faith? Does it come up with sacrifice? Does it come up with testing? Where do your doubts lie? And are you actually talking to God about that enough to grow past those things? Preparedness is the antidote to doubt. We as a people just have to commit to doing that. Let me pray for you. Father God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the story in Second Chronicles. I thank you for the story 
in Genesis 22, yeah, it's, it's honest and it's vulnerable to say that I don't ever want to go anything through anything like that, God. I don't want my faith to be tested in that way, and I wouldn't wish that upon anyone here. But what we see in Scripture consistently, God, is that through the testing of our faith, we grow closer to you, we grow closer to the men and women that you want us to be. Our doubts begin to, to fizzle because we see who you actually are, and we're inspired to prepare for the life that you want for us, God. So my prayer for Vertical Church today is that we would be bold and we would be brave in preparing knowing that you are eventually going to provide. Not preparing because we're afraid you won't show up, God, but preparing because we want to be a part of what you're doing. We know that you're doing great things here in the city, in the state where you have us located, and we just want to be a part of that, God. May we prepare on an individual level and as a church to be a part of the work that you've called us to. We love you and we praise you. Amen. We'll see you next week, guys. Have a good one.